Welcome in to another episode of Patrick Jones Baseball, where we find the best tools to build the best players. On this episode, we have Adam Rosales. Adam is a former big leaguer, played several years in the big league, several years professionally, a great guy. He was you know, someone who I wanted to get on the show because he provides some insight that you just can't get anywhere else. You know, To be able to be a major leaguer and to be able to ha- have that success over several years is something that's truly remarkable. And I just wanted to pick his brain a little bit on some of the techniques and tips that he used along along his, his journey as a baseball player. And I think that it's going to be able to help out a lot of those who are going to be listening to this. And whether that be players, coaches, parents, some great content and great stuff that you just can't find anywhere else. I'd like to remind everyone that Blast Motion is having a, a deal where you can get a Blast Motion bat sensor for only $85. Usually they're $150. So if you go to blastmotion.com and type in code PJB25, you'll be able to save a lot of money. So Swing Analyzers bat sensor, $85. Head to blastmotion.com, type in code PJB25. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Adam Rosales. Adam Rosales, appreciate you coming on today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you're, you used to play for the Reds. I remember uh, before we started recording, I was telling you, I remember being back in high school, you hit a home run and you ran around the bases. I think it's maybe the fastest since StatCast has been around. Yeah, maybe. I know Billy Hamilton got around pretty quick too. But... Did he get pretty quick? What, I mean, what's, like, is that just your style? I mean, or, or is it just you send a message that you just hustle 24-7? Yeah, well, I've been doing it since I was a kid. Like, every, okay. Actually, my first homer I hit was left-handed and uh, barely got over the fence, and I jogged around the bases, and I'm like, you know, this kind of feels kind of awkward. So I'm like, the next time, I'm just going to sprint like I'm hitting a triple. Like, the coaches won't get mad at me. Like, if it just barely it hits the top of the fence and I'm standing on first base, no, man, I'm going to always make sure I'm standing on second. But I, I just kept doing it since I've been, like, 12 years old. I did it into high school, college, pro ball, and then the major leagues. Just kind of kept with with it. It kind of became a tribute to my 12-year-old self, I guess. Look at it. It's very cool. I'm sure your teammates loved it, though. I mean, you got to love playing with somebody who hustles like that. Yeah, they they always appreciate it. So, I mean, first off, man, congrats on a great, great career. I mean – Played eight years in the big leagues. I mean, it, it, that's, that's so hard to do, to not only just get to the big leagues, but to be able to stay there. So just kudos to you, man. That's an impressive career. No, I appreciate it, man. I definitely had a lot of great coaches. Obviously, my parents, huge support for my family, too. You know, Can't do it on your own, that's for sure. What, what, do, you, what do you think was the reason you were able to stick around so long? Uh, my versatility, number one talk about my physical skill set I was always a pretty solid defender and you could put me anywhere on the field um but I, I you know I did drive runs in I guess like when I had to um had decent power that kind of kept me in the game as a utility player but you know it was it was always a grind man it was always a struggle to stay up there because obviously there's a lot of competition coming behind you but um, I always found a way. It, it, it's more like the mentality that I had. They sent me down to AAA a ton, 
it wasn't just eight straight years. Yeah. I was up there, you know, it was grinding. It was parts of 11 and 14 years in professional baseball, but um, a lot of ups and downs, but I was always resilient because I always had great coaches kind of reinforce me. Hey, you belong up there, you know, and I bought into it. So kudos to them, you know. Well, I, I actually saw you were, I think you were DFA'd three times within 10 days. Yeah. I mean, first, how do you even mentally take that? I mean, this guy struggle with that mentally for doing it one time, but three times in 10 days. It was unbelievable, man. So my wife was in Oakland waiting to see what was going to happen. I was in Toronto with the A's and all of our stuff, our car with all of our suitcases was in Texas because we had already shipped it. <laughs> so we're like, what is, so we, I don't know. We just went back and forth between the A's, the Rangers back to the A's and then finally stayed with the Rangers because they were both in the playoff hunt. And I guess they wanted that utility position to, to stay on the roster. You know, do you think that messes with some guys' heads when that happens? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not – you mean with the players? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's no question. It's it's difficult because you're you're like a, a man with no flag. There's like, who do you represent? Yeah. It was really – and they would some they would tell me straight up, hey, we're, you're on our team, but in two days we're going to release – we're going to mm. uh, DFA you. Like, dang, man. Like, that's, that's kind of like uh, – It's cutthroat. Yeah, what's that? It's cutthroat. And it well it is, and and, and that's the, that's the way I've always took it in stride. Um, I try not to let it mess with my head. I'm like I, I always found the silver lining. I'm like, hey, at least somebody wants me, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. Someone's gonna. So it wasn't like I was just out. So how did you get yourself mentally like back to a, a place of of being that that neutral state? You hear a lot of people talk about you know don't want to be too high, don't be too low, want to be neutral. How do you how do you get yourself back there when you're struggling or things aren't going you're going back down to triple a again i'm sure that can't be easy uh, it's not easy i think that's the hardest part of the game but you have to have your core values you have to understand what you stand for why you're even out there on the field in the first place you have to have you have to go um rely on that you know kind of kind of find that like that 12 year old self you know like just appreciate just uh competing and playing the game but it's not easy to find all the time, man, because you obviously as baseball players, it's a lot of numbers. A lot of our our game depends on numbers, and and that's what they always talk about. But it's it's finding, like, why you're out there and why you really enjoy the game. It kind of stabilizes you. Speaking of numbers, as a player, I know, you know, you, you played for a really long time, but I'd say over the past five years, the really the analytics and, and every technology has really taken off in baseball. Was that something that you stayed away from or like you, cause maybe you were at the point of your career when, you know, you'd already knew who you were as a player or was that something that you gravitated towards to now? Like, can this prolong my career even further? Yeah. Um, I, I could have been a lot better student of analytics. I love it in the sense as a coach, it helps you a lot, like identify certain weaknesses in a player that you can help them become strengths. But for me, I was kind of like ingrained in um, my routine, I guess. And it was just really like the last two years of my career that really it started, um, you know, Raph Soto and Hit Tracks and all these really started um, 
coming to the surface and a lot of players were using it now, but I just feel like it's so much information that you have to have the right coach deliver it to you. So it's a clear message. That's the way I, so I kind of stayed away from it, but now as a coach, I really like learning about it. I have that growth mindset for it for sure. Do you think, is there anything that you, that you know now that you would take back and like work with yourself on back as a, as a player? There's a lot of that, man. There's a lot of um, – I would, I would really study the, the strike zone, what pitchers – what their tendency was to throw certain pitches to what strike zone so I can eliminate. That's what hitting was for me. It's like, all right, eliminate something so you can focus on what you're good at or where it's going to be thrown the most, you know, because it's, you got to be – pre-pitching the situation basically you got to see it almost before it comes to you um, that's what i would do i would study like the pitcher's tendencies the percentage of what pitch they're going to throw it in the strike zone so were you mainly just reacting throughout your career yeah i was just like see fastball <laughs> fastball right down the middle <laughs> and that's probably why i was a streaky hitter that and the mental side of the game i mean i was just looking dead red heater and that's why I was a fastball hitter. If I saw spin other than the fastball or the shape of the hand other than a fastball, I was shutting it down. And a lot of times I would buckle, you know, I would, I would just um, – or I wouldn't – because those are the best – some of the best pitches to hit out of the ballpark are the, the hanging curveball, right? It's an easy swing you put on it. But once I saw spin, I would shut it down. And a lot of times that's kind of got myself out. Mm. Yeah, I mean – it, it is interesting to be able to, first of all, I mean, that's just impressive. If you're just going up there and you're just reacting to the pitch, it just shows like so much good hand-eye coordination and yeah, yeah. just bat to ball skills. That's <laughs> right. Well, I would, well, you still anticipate it though. There's a lot of right. the mental side of the, of hitting. It wasn't, I was just, it wasn't just like a caveman approach up there, you know? Yeah. Were you, well, were you any good at, at picking up pitchers, tipping pitches? Uh, I, I got pretty good at it. At the end, like, there was one guy, like, in AAA. It's got to be kind of blatant. Or, or a teammate that I trust is like, hey, look at this, and you got to see it. But there's one guy in AAA, he would chew his gum, right, and it would be a curveball. And he wouldn't chew his gum. It was a fastball. Wow. I've never heard of that um, one. I know. Neither, neither, but I was, for some reason, I was paying attention to it. Like, holy smokes. Like, this is – like – Obviously, if you can eliminate that off speed, especially me as a hitter, yeah, you got the upper hand. You're ready to drive that fastball. Were there were there certain teammates you had throughout your career that maybe like really helped you from a hitting perspective? I like just hearing their thought process or what they did to help to prepare themselves for a game. I mean, every one of my teammates had something to say. I mean, such an elite level, right? It just it's on me to listen to them or listen and ask questions and get to know what their approach was. But my goodness, I mean, I get to play with hitters like Adrian Beltre, for out loud. Um, we talked about two-strike approach. It was just one conversation I had with Adrian Beltre about a two-strike approach. So I'm like, AB, how do you approach that? You know, because you're really good at it. Um, and he says he treats it like a hit and run because he doesn't, he doesn't want it to be in the umpire's hands. Mm. Um, to call him out. So he's like always anticipating yes, 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 until or, or unless it's like way out of the strike zone. But you learn from players like like that, like Adrian Beltrades. 
That's mm -hmm. a, I'm glad you brought that up because you hear that method for two strikes, but then you also hear, well, if you just put a ground ball in play that's off the plate a little bit and you're not a fast strength, that's an auto out in the big leagues, or it could be a double play even in the big leagues. Yeah, there's no question. And obviously Adrian Beltre is a whole level up. Yeah, yeah, right. Not just yeah. a major leaguer. He's a major leaguer, right? Like, right. So he's, he's got a different <laughs> mindset. But, yeah, you don't want to just hit a weak ground ball. But, I mean, sometimes it produces a run, you know, if, yeah. it, if it is. Or if, it's a, or if you put the ball in play and it's a bloop hit. Um, for me, I, at the end of my career, I started striking out a lot more. Um, I used to be more disciplined at the plate and walked more. Well, yeah, walked more um, back when I was younger. But Do you think that's because they knew they had more information on you? It, the, definitely. That's a great point. Definitely the information, like knowing my cold zones. And you could just tell that they would throw that high and inside fastball because I was, I was always going to swing at it because just an inch or two below, that's my hot zone. Yeah. Right. So if they, if they miss, I win, but if they hit their spot, I lose, you know, it's just a fraction of an inch, like just inches. I, I was listening to um, the Cubs big league hitting coach, Anthony Iaposi talk about how he, he worked with some guys and he was with the Rangers actually for a little bit too. I know he's with the Cubs now, but how to get, so for some guys to get back on track, they would sacrifice at bats. Mm -hmm. So if they were, you know, really out in front, they would tell us like, Hey, I, I'm going to try and get jammed when I go up there or I'm going to try to hit a ground ball to second base just to establish what it feels like to be on time again. Do you ever do any of that or hear any of that? Yeah, you have to do that. I mean, that's why I like, I would, for me, I approached, my whole entire season, I would take 10 at-bats at a time. So if I had to do something like that, if I had to take a step back, I would do that to go two steps forward, um, whether it was working on two-strike approach or uh, taking the first pitch or, you know, even something mechanical, widening my stance, something I would make that adjustment for those at least 10 at-bats. And if nothing happened, then i get rid of those 10 at-bats. All right, next 10 at-bats, let's get to work again. So I think if you don't break it up like that, you kind of um, – there's no structure. You know, there's – it's too too much. It's almost like overwhelming. Cause so was – okay, that, that's a really good – this is why I like talking to someone like you who's been successful at that, the highest level because you bring these – just this experience you can't get anywhere else. But when you talk about breaking up those tenant bats, so you would pick something out that you wanted to focus on or that you would think would help you and maybe – through those 10 at-bats, and then you'd be like, hey, like, I'm sticking with this for 10 at-bats no matter what. 100%. Okay. Yep. And that's, that's when I really had to, though. Right? A lot of times you just you cruise through it. You don't make – you make small adjustments, not like a big – like I said, like a mechanical where you have to, like, wider stance or put your hands up a little bit higher or hit with no batting gloves, you know, something like, like <laughs> whatever, whatever you got to do for 10 at-bats just to um, – whether it's mental or whatever it is to get you back on track. Uh, and usually it's just a small adjustment though. So after those 10 at bats, if they, if it doesn't work, you just go on and try something else. And if it does, you just keep riding it out. Usually it works or, or usually it gets you out of your head. You know, yeah. usually, like I said, it's mental. Like you just go back to trust in your stuff and you, you know, you, you're on the same page with your hitting coach and you just talk 
about that. That's how you get out of slumps. You kind of talk your way out of it uh, with your – and I've been lucky to have solid hitting coaches. and They're more like psychologists more than anything, you know. Yeah. You kind of talk about it. And, if yeah, if you have to take those 10 at-bats, do that for sure. Well, you're, you're, I mean, you're a hitting coach now. So now, I mean, I'm sure you can be able to take on so much of what you've learned and help out younger guys. What, I mean, what have you, what have you talked to the, your, like, the players that you've worked with so far? I know you've done, you do stuff in professional baseball, but and maybe later on in the show we can get into you know, what you do online too from helping out and developing players. But just from a broad perspective, I mean, what have you been able to, to say to a younger hitter that maybe you learned that has helped them too? Yeah, I mean, so for the Oakland A's, I've been doing – just infield stuff with uh, for instructs out here, and uh, didn't really get to do too much hitting with the professional level. So I've worked with a lot of young players, like doing camps and whatnot, or remote training, and I really encourage them to stick to the like I said earlier, like to your core values. And I give them my core values. I encourage them to create their own if they want, but uh, you always want to make an adjustment within those core values. Whether like for me, it's like rhythm and timing, weight transfer, connection and finish. And there's some kind of adjustment. You look at those first. And then if you have to go deeper than that, that you do, but usually you don't have to go deeper than just those four core values. For me, I didn't. So those, in terms of those four core values, do you have, are there certain drills that you would like and to do if you felt you were off? They, they, yeah, they go along with those. You know, like like weight transfer, like the Adrian Beltre drill, right? Like if a guy's not getting his hips through, I would say, hey, let's drop your back knee. Like watch Adrian Beltre does on this off-speed pitch. And boom, they just get their – they rotate. They can wait a little bit longer on the pitch. And now they're a lot more effective and they, their bat speed increases just by telling them something simple. Um, so that's, uh, that's what I mean, like sticking to that core value. That's weight transfer. But, yeah, there's a drill that goes with it. But a lot, of, a lot of it's like for young players, it's the, the positive reinforcement. You know, that's the – listen, I talk a lot about the mental side of the game. It's so important, especially like uh, – because I feel like a lot of coaches break the hitters down when you should build them up. And then if you have to deliver something, then you deliver it. But it's a lot – I've been working with Ronnie Ortegon. He was my hitting coach in 2007. Uh, he was the, the hitting coordinator. And he always says that he's in the business. He's in the build-up business. He likes building kids up. Uh, and then if he has to deliver something, then they're more receptive, they're more absorbent. Uh, and that's what I like. When I work with young kids, that's what I try to do. Speaking of young kids, it's the strike zone's a little bit different for young kids because the umpires are calling pitches everywhere, right? So what, what advice would you give to a player, a younger kid who – with two strikes, I mean, he's got, he's got to cover a lot more area. Well, and, that's why I always tell him. I, I say, be aggressive. I say, always be aggressive. Almost like the Adrian Beltre approach, even for young kids. So I'd go out, like, um, when I played, I would go out some Saturday mornings and play pickup games of baseball with these, these kids in the, in the community. And I always tell them with two strikes, be aggressive here. Stay aggressive with two strikes because I know – the strikes out. You don't want to be go down looking, especially at a young age. Wait, you would do that during your season? Yeah. Is yeah. So we put together like a little like it was kind of like a nonprofit 
called Sandlot Nation. I did that like the last two years of playing. Uh, really enjoyed doing it. And that's, that's where my heart is, is doing like these pickup games or modifying the game a little bit, like Sandlot Ball, right? Um, and that's what I would always do. I would always tell the kids, like give them little tips like that, you know, build them up. Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. That's that's neat that you did that. From a defensive side, because I know, you, like you mentioned earlier, you were very, very good defensively too. Is that something that – did you make yourself – like have you always been pretty solid defensively and you just got better over time? Or was it something just combination of both you had a little bit, but also you worked had to work your butt off to, to become that gold glove type of infielder? I don't know if I was gold glove. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you were – I think I saw you were fine. You were pretty close a couple yeah, times. I, I felt, yeah, I felt like that was my strength because I can rely on my arm too. But um, that took a lot of work. I enjoyed doing it though. But that stems back to when I was a kid and how simple my dad made it for me. He gave me the three Gs. He said, Adam, I want you to glove it, then you grip it, and you gun it. Mm. Right? And if the runner's safe, you're safe. Right? But just make sure you, you field it cleanly, you grip it, and you throw a bullet across the diamond every single time. And because of that simple advice, I, you can see me. If you watch videos of me fielding, um, it's so fundamental. It's like almost like two like wide base, back flat, knees out, hands out in front, head down, glove, and then throw it. And it's like it's not smooth. It's not a – it's not a flashy at all, but it got the job done. And it most important, what, what coaches and managers want is they can trust that you will get the job done on defense, right? And that's what kind of kept me – I believe that's what kept me in the major leagues for a long time. What advice would you give to, to guys playing like third base, for example, the hot corner growing up? That's not an easy position to play. Hot corner, I mean, you got to use your body, man. You got to, if you have to tackle the ball, tackle the ball, because you get that top spin is tough. But know that you have time at third base. Yeah, it's a longer throw, but you have time to set your feet, get your feet under you, and make an accurate throw. A lot of players think they get it and they got to go, which is not true. You can get it, knock it down, fumble it even, and you still got time, especially if it's a slower runner. But that's the most important thing of fielding is pre-pitching the situation and knowing who's, who's running in the batter's box and who's running on the bases too. So you know your internal clock, you know how much time you have. So if you do make a mistake, go ahead. Did you, did you change your pre, pre-position like when, to get ready for the pitch? I mean, some guys do a hop, some guys more static. I mean, what, did you ever change throughout your career? A little bit. I wouldn't say significantly. Did you ever think about doing like, – I, I think I – was it Dustin Pedroia who did the hop? Yeah. I mean, did you ever think about doing that? Yeah, I did, I did different stuff. I did more stuff that the coach, my infield coach, whether it was at college or pro ball, they would, they would recommend something. I would try it. And that's another thing that kind of kept me around too. I was coachable. I feel like I was teachable in the sense that, hey, you tell me what to do, I'll do it. At least, at least I'll try it. So I did, I did dabble. If they wanted me to, to do something, I would try some, but nothing too significant. But more, the more like the, the positioning was more important. I guess you do have to be on time. Don't, I don't want to dismiss that, but it's knowing like, all right, knowing the hitter, 
you have to move two steps this way because last, you know, the last game you played against him, um, you know that he hit it just more in the six hole or whatever. So the, that pre-positioning was very important for me. Was there a hitter who, when he came out to bat, you're like, oh, boy, I take another yeah. step back? If I, if I was playing first base, it was Josh Hamilton. Oh, so, man. <laughs> with, his runner, with a runner on first base and Josh Hamilton up? Oh, jeez. I'm like, oh, man. I, I might want to wear some catcher's gear right here. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, you talk about a, just a raw talent. I remember he uh, started out with the Reds when he came back again, and oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I got to I got to play with him in Texas too. I was his teammate, so Didn't I would play against like a thirty-five inch bat or something crazy. Huge bat, yeah. And just I just loved being. It was a really a, a pleasure being his teammate, man. I really yeah. enjoyed the conversations we've had. What What do you think the the landscape of of baseball in terms of the hitting and technology from an amateur standpoint? Where do you think that's at right now where do you think it's going see you see a lot of people online not happy about it um you see both sides of it i guess and so from a player's perspective i'm curious to hear what you think well a lot of people said they're not happy about it but they gotta they keep on doing it right they don't they're not making any changes about it they're gonna keep on doing what 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 people are telling them what to do which is um but i think it's gonna kind of equal it'll rebalance itself for me personally, like, yes, we've tapped into the analytic side of things, which is great. I think, like I said earlier, for coaches, especially to understand weaknesses and understand how to deliver a message to players. But I don't think we've tapped in to the mental side of the game. I keep bringing it up. I really feel like that's what's going to kind of balance it out, understanding more approach and building these players up. Um, instead, because I feel like analytics will break you down a little bit, you know, if I'm right by saying that, I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, I feel like it breaks you down, but you need something to kind of build you back up. And I think the mental side of the game, having that approach, having that process will get these players um, more balanced out, I think. Let's just find we, we, need, we need a piece of technology that measures the brain. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that might be kind of scary, though. It might be scary, but I think you bring up a, a, such a great point, though. It, because the brain is so powerful and the mind is so powerful, and our thoughts control our thoughts, what we think dictates our movement and your mechanics. You know, if you're raking yeah. right now, you're going to move a little bit better versus when you're struggling a little bit. I mean, so I, I think that's a valid point. Yeah, yeah I just talked to a, a company yesterday that they actually have an algorithm that they, they have the players take a test. It's like a 45 minute test and you get like, you understand like what the, the player might need because the way he responded to it. Well, that takes time. You know, it's gotta be like you said, a machine that does it like, all right, yeah. boom, that's what you need. Like this is your, this is your program because yeah, it's tough. It's, it's tough to tap into because it takes a lot of time and it takes the player needs to buy into it. I think that's why it takes time because they have to have that trust that yeah. it, it, you have to have trust. It's intangible, right? You see all these tangible numbers from analytics. You see it. All right. I see it. But the mental side of the game, you don't, it's tough to measure. Did you ever play with guys who, who did a bunch of journaling? I mean, I've seen, seen some players do that and yeah. recommend it to some too. hundred percent. I, I mean, I did myself. I, I journaled a ton. 
it's more like venting. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of bad words probably in that book, but uh, uh, yeah, but that helped me just get it out. Uh, but my goodness, I played with some great, like Paul Goldschmidt. Now, that's another great guy I got to talk to about hitting, you know, and J.D. Martinez. These guys come in to the dugout, look at the pitcher after every bat, and write down almost like their, their, their attack for the next at bat, you know. But they're writing down. I know J.D. Martinez's book, it says, do not open, or like, like <laughs> off limits, you know. So, which is cool, man. Like, and I never thought about doing that as a player, and I should have come right into the dugout and write it down, almost like in real time. Of what you saw that about? Was that? Of what you saw that previous at bat? I saw we'll have the sequence of it. And there's actually a company, Always Grind. I'm not sure if you know Always Grind. They write those notebooks. I'm a big fan of those. Um, fantastic um, stuff that you come in, it's all set up. You can just chart down your at bat and write down notes, say, this is what happened. And I, I'm a huge advocate of doing that. I think it comes down, I think you, you hear of like the J.D. Martinez's and the Paul Goldschmidt's of the world, especially J.D. who just had to reinvent himself. I think it just takes such a, that amount of discipline and just internal just hard work to do that because mentally you're playing every day. It's hot out. There's times you get there at bat, you just want to take a quick U-turn and just go back, get some to drink, and then get back ready for defense. Right. But to have the discipline to go back, get the notebook out, write it down, that's not easy. That's not easy. It's right. It's, it, it takes a ton of discipline and it takes you being humble too, man. Cause a lot of times you just want to go and just vent it out. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, but you're right. It's, it's like the time, even just that in the game or even after the game, I look back and since I've got done playing now I'm reading like heads up baseball 2.0 <laughs> and the mental game of it. Cause I'm a coach now. I'm like, why did I not like, dive into the stuff when I was playing because it's like a lot of time to decompress a lot of time for recovery. And it's like, man, it takes a lot of discipline to, to tap into the mental game, to buy into it. Would those guys write stuff down? Even like, let's say JD Martinez or Paul Goldschmidt hit a home run first at bat. Would they still write something down? Yeah, I'm sure I didn't, I didn't quite notice that because we're probably all celebrating. High five and everything. No, but yeah. I always notice like, I'd always kind of like watch them as they came, you know, after like a, a tough at bat, I, they would just go sit by themselves up on the, the bench and write something down. Um, or, you know, but yeah, that's, I never noticed. Were you a big tea guy? Did, it, did that help you out a lot? A ton, man, because I, I got a lot out of doing it on my own. Like I felt like I got that, like a, maybe call it old school, but I would swing until like, I would say, 100, 200 swings a day just to get just to get a good feeling. I'd swing until I was tired. Tire, I'm like, all right, this is the feeling because I can't make a mistake now because I'm too tired and, to make that mistake. No, but I used the, the tea a lot. And I read the, um, Sean Green's book, The Way of Baseball, Finding Stillness at 95 Miles Per Hour is the title, right? And he used nothing but the tea. Well, not, I shouldn't say nothing but but – his own personal training was off the tee, the tanner tee, right? Um, but yeah, to answer your question, the tee is always very important to me and my routine. Was that more so because of the mental side? 
I think it had a lot to do with the mental side, like being by yourself. And so you wouldn't you know, want to do it with a coach. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, w- I would still do it with a coach. I would go through my basic like eight to ten swings with the coach, like in my normal routine. But my earlier early work or my off season work, it'd be a lot of time spent on the tee. Um, mm-hmm. Just for that. How do you how do you help these young players form their own routines? I mean, is that something you usually start with the tee to help them? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts before the tee. Obviously, you want to make sure your body's moving first. Like, how, make sure you, you got that going, your, your muscle activation stuff. And then, yeah, we move to the tee. Um, for me, I, I, like, for me, I would always visualize the picture that I was facing that night. I would watch the video of the guy and then see him. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but I would see him out there. And if he's a lefty, make sure I'm looking like at his left earlobe or what his hand position might be, what the spin of the ball was, and I would track it to the tee. Uh, my coach, Alan Zinter, and I, we did it in San Diego where he would act like the pitcher behind the L screen, and he would actually deliver the ball into the net and I would pretend like I tracked it into the tee and then hit it off the tee so to get like that more, those, those almost like uh, mental reps of seeing and that helped a ton for me. He's with the Reds now. He's the Reds. He is. Yeah. That guy's fantastic. Is Love. he? Is he good? Oh my gosh! Yeah. Well, I was hitting a buck eighty in June in San Diego in the big leagues. I'm like, how am I still in the big leagues? You know. Yeah. Like, and he just absolutely just took me under his wing and said, "Hey, let's get this right. You know, let's let's get to know you. Like, what do you want to do?" And like, he really brought the best out of me. And we started playing games in the cage. Like, he started challenging me. We played, like, the four-seam, two-seam game where I would just focus on the baseball, right? If it's four-seam, I'm swinging. If it's two-seam, I'm taking. So you got to really concentrate on the baseball. And that's what he got me back to was the baseball. And that's where I'm best when I'm just really focused on, obviously, the spin out of the hand and the baseballs. But see, so it was nothing me- mechanical – for me, what for me, obviously, my swing is pretty. Uh, it is pretty mechanical, right? It's a, uh, it's not smooth. It's kind of herky jerky, pretty violent swing. But ultimately, what it comes down to for me, for my success, was being in the moment and being on the baseball and trusting my stuff, trusting my quick hands, and my explosive uh, power. You know. Yeah. But it's really easy to deviate from that. Um, that mentality. Well, yeah, well, you see, I mean, usually that's the first thing guys go to is, well, mechanically something's wrong. And it's usually not the case. <laughs> that's exactly right, man. That's, and it's, it's hard. How, could you, how do you measure it, though, right? How do you right. – you think it's something – you always tinker with something mechanical. Would your mindset change at all from day games to night games? The routine would because, obviously, your day game – You, I mean, night game, you get there at – say one o'clock in the afternoon, you got more time and you, you got well rested. You slept the night before, but then you go from ending the game at whatever, say 10 o'clock, trying to wind down the night before going to bed, probably still at one or two in the morning and then waking up at probably eight o'clock, you know? So it's pretty quick for me. It was quick. It's hard for me to shut down the night before, especially if I played that night. So the routine would be different in the sense that it would be, it would, there'd be no BP on the field. Hardly, you won't see that. Early in my career, they would still take 
batting practice, like on a Sunday or like a Thursday day game. So it would change slightly. It would change slightly. It would be a little bit more laid back. Um, I don't know. How do I put Yeah, just kind of a little bit more. I wouldn't go through the motions, but it would be more laid back. Like, all right, trust. Like, kind of like just trust your, the simplicity of the routine. Speaking of batting practice, there's all this, uh, there's a lot of different talk in the last couple of years about, you know, teams hiring maybe former, maybe former players who just got released to come out and throw on the mound and things like that. What, I mean, what are your thoughts as a, from a, a coach's, coach's standpoint now, but a player not that long ago on that? Like to actually throw like off the mound, like a, a pitch. Yeah, I mean, like different pitches, all that it stuff. It has to be done. It's yeah. got to be done. Like, so for me, like, especially for the RC utility players, like, why are they not doing that already? Because I feel like what got me back on track usually was when these guys had, like, the rehabs. They, they're coming back off of an injury. I'd face, like, a Tyson Ross, nasty pitcher in San Diego, right? And he'd come back. And just to see that nasty stuff in, like, a more controlled environment and just to get, get reps and get, get at-bats was huge. And if you can get that more on a consistent basis – I feel like that's a game changer. So I'm like, for sure, bring those guys, bring them on. Yeah. What do you Love think it. about just regular BP as is? I mean, does that, does that help? Of course it does, but it's more like helps build your confidence and get that good feeling of where your barrel is. I think that's what we always take. For me personally, that's what I took batting practice for was to make sure the barrel felt like that, like the size of a tree trunk. Not as heavy, but the size, right? Yeah. Like, uh, like you just felt like that fullness and the bat barrel accuracy and make sure that it's in nice, smooth swing, drive the ball to right field, knowing that in the game it's going to speed up on you because the ball that you drive, for me personally, drive the right center, it's going to speed up in the game. It's going to be now driven to left center because I'm going to be a little bit out for anticipating that fastball, right? Is there something certain that you would focus on when the pitcher uh, was in his windup or out of a stretch? When you hear some guys say they, they'd focus on the hat and then translate, transfer, like beat him to the release point. Was there something that you would or? Yeah, I would always focus on his ear, right? Because I feel like that's coming out of the release point. Unless it was like a, like a sidewinder, like Darren O'Day, right? From the, he played for the, Start with the Rangers, I believe, and went to the Orioles a long time. Yeah, yeah. But he would all you'd side like on like whatever you call it, submarine, and then I would focus like on his belt buckle. Because if I was focusing on his ear, that would be pointless, right? So I'm focusing on where I think it's kind of kind of come out of. Mm. So so I got a little bit better at that, like facing like side like three quarter arm guy. Like I would focus more like on his shoulder. But guys, usually guys, the majority of the time would be like out of their ear. So facing Kershaw was tough. That's just tough no matter what, right? Right. He's just a competitor and yeah. he's got nasty stuff. But I would always focus on his left ear. But because you think his release point would be somewhere right here, but like it's like his when he releases, his body drops down and his arm shoots up. So that release point, that's the deception, right? I'm not sure mm -hmm. if, you, if that's what he's doing it for, but – it, it's kind of like uh, doesn't really matter that I'm focusing on his left ear because it's gonna I'm gonna lose that constant that focal point because his body goes down almost and his arm goes up. Yeah, I, I, I see what you're saying. So you got to stay up with him. You got to see like almost like look at the top 
So I started looking like at the top of his, like the button of his cap. I don't know. So stuff like that. I mean, I haven't heard. That's the first time I've heard heard someone mention the ear. Maybe that's why I was a two twenty seven hitter in the big league. <laughs> <laughs> hey man, you're so you're 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 doing some really cool stuff though, just for the baseball community in general. And I know you have your own thing now. It's baseball utility, is what it's oh. called. And you have some. I was on the on your website earlier. You got some awesome resources of, of drills, courses. I know you're doing remote training for teams and just individual players. What made you want to do this right after you got done playing? Because I mean, you could have just chilled back and done nothing for a few years. I mean, first of all, I love the game of baseball, and I think I definitely want to be a part of it somehow, some way. But I also, you know, my big why is obviously giving back. Like, I, I, I remember the way I looked at a Major League Baseball player, how I just – the respect and how I wanted to be there. At least get the, And I feel like I could deliver that message, at least be in that build-up business, right, to help the kids. Like, hey, this is – something good you might want to tune into. Um, and just to see them progress is awesome, man. Like to see, uh, to kind of follow them a little bit is like just to get their, their positive. Hey, Adam, I, I got a double today and drove a couple runs. Like, awesome. You know, like, I, I mean, that, that, but then also doing research. Like take baseball utilities, like a, a research project, um, trying to pick the brains of a lot of great people and, find out what our youth needs. So obviously the, the number out there from the Youth Alliance Association, whatever, um, I think that's the, the name of the association, but it's like 70% of athletes quit after 13 years old, right? And I'm like, well, that's, I, I sh- I, I'll, I'll, like, I'll reach out. I'll get, I'll get in contact with you again and send you the exact whatever. But that is 70% of athletes whether they change sports or go, or they just quit and they go do something else. Um, but 70% was a big number for me. And that kind of like, uh, really eye opening. So I'm like, but they're not, they're not, first of all, they're not physically developed all the way at 13 years old. So they're kind of selling themselves short. I read, uh, the sports gene by David Epstein recently. It talks about Dennis Rodman, right? He didn't grow until he was like 25. He was like, a, he wasn't as tall as he is now. And then he came out and became an NBA player, but you got time to grow. That's what I want. That's the message I want to give kids is that you have time to develop physically. You have time to develop mentally. Take the time to do it. And it kind of breaks my heart. Like to think if there are like, just I'm done playing sports at 13 years old. I'm like, cause I know there's a lot of pressure that goes into that. And I kind of want to be like that. Um, at least research and understand where I fit and where I can help our youth to play for one more year, man. Like just give it one more shot. You know, Cause you never know. Like you just, I mean, but so that's, that's, that's where my heart is. You know? No, that's good stuff, man. And, and we're going to, we'll make sure to put in the, the link in the show notes. So for those listening, baseballutility.com, um, check it out. Website, Adam, great content on there. And he does just awesome job. And just by listening to this interview, you're going to be able to tell that, he knows what he's obviously doing playing in the big leagues for all those years, but he cares a lot too. So Adam, appreciate you doing that um, for the, the baseball community and I appreciate you coming on the show today too. Patrick, thanks so much for having me, man. Yeah, no problem. 
Thanks for listening to this episode with Adam Rosales. If you haven't, make sure to go subscribe, rate, and leave us a review on iTunes. I would appreciate it so much. Hope everyone stays safe. And if you have any requests for guests, please email me, jonesbaseballtraining at gmail.com. Thanks, and see everyone next week.